listening to a podcast by Real Church and Pastor Noah Fritchie in Murfreesboro, Illinois. I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope this message inspires you and builds your faith. Enjoy, and God bless. Today, I have a job to do. I have to give you uh, the last part, the summary, really, of this series. And so, if you haven't been with us, or, uh, you need to know that we've been going verse by verse through the Song of Solomon. And if you've ever read the Song of Solomon before in the Old Testament, uh, you understand that it's a, very, uh, it's a book that's very difficult to understand. There's a lot of pictures written in it and allegories that mean a whole lot of different things. Uh, and it, it, I, I'm sure it meant a lot to the people back in the day. But for us people today, it's really hard to understand. In fact, there's one in there that just says, uh, Solomon tells his wife, he says, your hair is like a flock of goats coming off of Mount Gilead. And that doesn't sound like something that I, you should be telling your wife at home. Uh, and, and I hope that you don't. Uh, but the, the, the picture is, he, it would have, they would have understood it back in the day because when you're standing right next to that mountain, looking at the goats coming down the mountain, it's just easier to understand, right? And so what I've been doing over the past several weeks is just trying to put it in a translation where you understand it. And really we wondered what in the world would it look like if Solomon wrote this book right here in Southern Illinois in 2021? What would it look like if, if, he, if he wrote, there's all kinds of these beautiful pictures. And so today I am excited to tell you that we have a version of this, uh, of this, of the Song of Solomon. I call it the New Southern Illinois Translation and uh, the NSIT for short. Uh, let, let's look at what, uh, let's look at what Solomon, here's what I think Solomon, if he was here where we are in Southern Illinois, I think this is what he would have wrote in 2021. How beautiful you are, my darling. If you've been with us, you've seen this verse. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are like the illuminated scratch-free screen of the new iPhone 12. Oh, you're just so, I just so beautiful. Not only that, but hey, your hair is like gravy flowing down off a mountain of Cracker Barrel biscuits, everybody. Ain't that just a beautiful picture? I think you could picture that. I can picture that. Uh, <laughs> your teeth. Oh, they're like a new, a pair of new Nike Air Force Ones, everybody. Uh, each has a twin and none of them stand alone. Hallelujah. You know, I, that's a good thing. Uh, it goes, he goes on to say, your lips are like the fenders of a new Ford F-150. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil, they're like two slices of thick cut applewood bacon, everybody. Amen. Yeah, yeah that's good. That's good stuff there. Uh, goes on to say, your neck is like the national championship trophy, everybody. We got March Madness is back, everybody. I think we should praise that. And uh, I'm excited for that. Tall, lean, and it's the envy of everyone in the land. And uh, here's my favorite one. Your breasts, oh, they're like two cakes from Larry's House of Cakes. <laughs> they're perfectly frosted and now available on Saturdays, everybody. <laughs> <That's a> good... <laughs> so how do you... How do you sum this up? Well, until the day breaks and the shadows flee, here's one for you ladies. I'll go to the mountain of Alta and the hill of essential oils, everybody. And the church of Jesus said, a good, amen. Hey, oh, wow. If you guys amen me like that, there's going to be more than NSIT. And, uh, <laughs> oh man, hey, listen, we believe and laughter, we believe in fun around here. I, it's a core value of our church that church should be enjoyed, not endured. Too many people go to church and endure it for an hour. I think you should come and enjoy it. In fact, the Bible says that the God who sets in the throne in the heavens, he laughs, everybody. He, so he's a joyous God. And we believe in humor and we think church should just be the highlight of your week. And uh, I just want to, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, in fact, the Bible says that the, that uh, the Bible says that laughter does good like medicine. And uh, I, think it, I think it does. And uh, that's our goal today. I feel like I have a job today to give you a good dose of medicine. I'm, I'm here. And, and that's, that's my hope is to give you today. I just want to give you God's word. We've already given you great worship. And I hope that you felt that. Uh, I, I just, my goal is to give you a lot of hope today. We've been in a series that 
for many of us has been tense. We've talked about a lot of different subjects that are, uh, for many of us, uncomfortable and hard to talk about. But my goal is to give you that hope. My goal today is to tell you that you can do it, that you can make it out, that you're going to win, that God has something great for you, that he knows your past. And even though he knows the worst part of your past, he still has a future for you. And that's the God that I serve. And my goal today is for you to leave here in a better condition than you walked in here, to leave here fresh. And so we do it in all kinds of ways. We do it with humor and, uh, and we just do it in every way because we love you and we've prepared all week for you. We've been waiting all week to see you and uh, we wanted you to show up today. And our goal is that you would just leave here different. You would leave here changed today in Jesus name. And God's people again said a good Amen. All right. That's good. That's better. Uh, let, let's, uh, we're going to jump into the actual scripture now and uh, take a look at what the Song of Solomon actually says. In fact, the past five weeks, I've brought you the same scripture that really sums up, I believe, the whole book of the Song of Solomon uh, that really gives us the thesis of the book. It's this, it's Solomon's Song of Songs. Uh, she says here, the, uh, Solomon's later on wife says this, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is more delightful than wine. She's talking about Solomon and she says, hey, I know this guy named Solomon and he's so much better than everybody else. He knows how to love so much better than everybody else. In fact, his love is more delightful than any fine wine that I could find. That's what she says. It's a compliment. She says, pleasing is your fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. Just meaning that wherever Solomon goes, wherever he's at, the place is just better. It just smells better. It looks better. Things are just, people are just happy. They're, they're, they're in, they, they love to see him. And that's, I, I, I've told you every week that that's our goal. As Christians, that should be our goal, that wherever we go, it's like perfume poured out. That, hey, when, when so-and-so walks in the room, it's so much better. I love when he's there. I love when she's there because the attitude, the room just changes. And we're in charge of doing that, not just in our relationships, but we're in charge of doing that at our house. We're in charge of doing that at our work, at school. Wherever we walk into, we should be loving people well. And that's the goal. In fact, she ends it by just saying, it's no wonder everybody else wants my man. It's no wonder everybody else wants Solomon. It's no wonder everybody else loves you because you just know how to love people well. And if you've been with us, um, we, we've talked about a lot of different topics in this book. If you haven't, I'm going to sum it up for you really quick. The first week we talked about uh, attraction and we talked about what attracted them to each other. And we talked about how there's so much more than just physical attraction. Uh, the, or, or the, uh, the world wants to give us and, and tell us that it's all about the physical. It's all about what you look like. And that's just simply not the case. There's so much more attraction than that. And so we, we talked about what godly attraction looks like. The second week, we talked about biblical dating. And I think that's a great message. It's been one of the most rewatched messages. Um, and I think it's for, for a good reason, because the biblical idea of dating is vastly different than the way God tells us to do it. And so uh, we learned how to date people. The third week uh, was a great week. We talked about their honeymoon night and uh, we, we talked about how to have healthy, holy, and great sex, everybody. And uh, it was as awkward as it was for me. Um, we, I, I just decided that, you know what? We cannot let the devil dictate. We can't let the world dictate what happens in our society. As a church, we have a responsibility to talk about those things, even though there, it might be a tough subject to talk about. We have a responsibility to talk about those things and show people the way to do it. Because I'm just convinced that most people just simply don't know and won't and just won't nail down on that topic. And so we talked about it. That'd be a great message to rewatch. And then last week, um, we talked about conflict and we talked about how do we resolve conflict when it arises um, in our in our relationships. And uh, we just I gave you three simple things on just how to resolve conflict even before it happens. Some decisions to make in your relationship that before conflict even arises, I'm going to decide these three things so that we can get through it. And if you miss that, I'd encourage you to go back and watch that today. Um, we find Solomon and his wife. This is way after the honeymoon night. In fact, Solomon and his wife are much older now. 
Their relationship is growing. Their relationship is deepening. Um, many people believe that they're kind of, this is really the end of their relationship here. And uh, so we find them there. And uh, really what we're going to be talking about today is how do you have love that lasts a lifetime? How do you how, how do you find how do you how do you love someone for a lifetime? And really, that's what the Song of Solomon shows us. And so we're going to take a look at that. Let's start in chapter seven, verse one. This is Solomon speaking here. He says this. He says, "How beautiful are your sandaled feet," which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us, and sh- it shouldn't make a whole lot of sense to us because you know back in the day. I, I, I can guarantee that no matter how much he, Solomon liked her feet or whatever, that they were dirty and nasty, everybody. Like there was just no, they, she had, she probably had some really gross feet. I mean, they didn't have any manicures and pedicures back in the day, everybody. Like she probably had some really dirty, nasty, they call, he calls it sandaled feet here. Uh, just it, it is, it is what it is. And so I, I think it's interesting how he starts his scripture here by bringing up a not so lovely part about her body. In fact, a lot of people think that there's nothing uglier than the foot. You know, like, like it's just something that I, I don't know. It, my feet stink all the time, so you, you don't need to see my feet, you know. And that's just, I, and it's the same way. I mean, her, her feet were probably, were not good looking, everybody. But what, so you might say, well, then why does he say this? Well, what he's saying here, and I think, and you're going to see this in, as we go on through this scripture, is that what other people consider to be ugly I'm now appreciating. So what other people might consider is not, I, you don't like that part. I, he's now appreciating that. What used to maybe even bother me about you, I'm now appreciating those things. In fact, it says, oh, prince's daughter, your graceful legs are like jewels. Again, uh, it, the, the work of an artist's hands. When he talks about her legs, it's probably something that not a lot of people have seen with her. And so essentially what she's, what, because she was a modest lady. And anyway, this is uh, essentially what he's saying here is that the stuff that nobody else sees about you, I see it and I appreciate it. Not everybody can see your legs, but I see them and I appreciate them. In fact, he says, uh, the verse says this, uh, they, they move on and they say, come my beloved, let us go to the countryside. So Solomon is now saying, hey, let's go on a trip. Like, like, let's get out of town. They literally say, let's spend the night in the villages. So now they're at the, at the kind of the end of their, their, their life on earth and at the end of their relationship. And they're, they're showing us what they're doing. And they, they're just saying, hey, let's go. Solomon's essentially saying, let's go take a trip. Let's go get out of town. And I would just encourage you in, in that same way that when you're, when you're older and more mature in your relationship, don't give up. Like, like keep taking some, tri- take some trips, get out of town, you know, do, do some things like that. Be an Emily. We do that as well. I mean, we'll, we'll drive to go eat at a fancy restaurant somewhere way out of the way just to have some quality time together. And you need to be doing that too. In fact, he says, let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if they're blossoms have opened. And uh, what, what, he's, what he's really showing us here is, they, let me just say this, they really don't care about the vineyards here. It's really, he's just painting us a picture of their relationship. What he's saying here, in fact, let's just think about this for a minute. What season, uh, what, what season do things bud? And, and it's the springtime, right? Everything in the spring is flowers start to bud, all this different stuff. He's painting this picture to where, you know, even though Solomon and his wife are old, and you might just say that they're, they're in the winter season of their life. I mean, they've, they've gone through, they've been through that spring season before. Even though they're in the winter season of their life, he's saying, I'm still going to create some springtime moments. I'm still going to create some moments to where we can still have a little fun. And, and that's essentially what he's saying here. He says, if their, if their blossoms have opened and, uh, and if the pomegranates are in bloom there, I will give you my love. And he's saying, they're saying essentially in this whole passage of scripture that we just read, I think the takeaway here is just this, is that you can't leave your relationship just where it is. Even though you've been together for a long time, even though you've, you've known each other for a while, you can't stop working on your relationship. In fact, this is not in your notes, but I just thought it was so important. I wanted to put it in here for you. It's this, is that in order for your relationships to work, 
It takes work. And that's every relationship. That's not just with your spouse. I mean, that's going to be the relationship that you have with your boss or your coworkers or your friends or your family. In order for your relationships to work, it takes work. And I know I don't get any amens for that, but because it's a, it's a hard truth. And I just want to encourage you to do whatever it takes to just keep creating those moments together. Enjoy one another. Love each other. Pour into one another. In fact, I, I think it's very interesting uh, thinking about this whole book. Um, I was reading a commentary about it. And the guy said there's two things, two things that are never, ever mentioned in the entire book. Think about those two things. Number one, in this book, all about relationships... Never once do they mention their kids. They just don't mention their kids. Number two, they never mention their work or their job. Now she does at the beginning, of course, because she's kind of setting up that she worked in the vineyard. But after they get married, you never hear about what either of them do. They don't talk about it with each other. And I think I I bring that up, and and I read that commentary this week, because I, I think it's so true, because... When, when you think about the biggest complaint in anybody's relationship, it's really the fact that the spouse gives the best of their time to something else. That, you know, whether mom maybe gives the best of their time, best of her time to the kids. And dad gives the best of the time to the workplace. And, and, and that's really where the conflict arises is that your spouse is always giving their best to something else but you. And you might say, well, yeah, but, but I'm working for those kids and I'm working for my wife. I'm, I'm working for my family. And you, mom, you might say the same thing, but yeah, I'm taking care of the kids for my husband. And, I, and it, let me just say this, it does matter. And I honor you for those things. And it, it definitely matters. But you need to recognize those things. Listen, as much as I love my wife, I cannot let this church get in front of her. I can't let my job be in front of her. If, not, if that's the case, we're going to have all kinds of problems. And you just got to recognize that. It doesn't mean I don't love my job any less. I, I, I love my job. I love what I get to do. But the fact is, is that I've just got to watch it. And there are some times where the scale tips. And I've got to make that adjustment. And I just want to give that to you because I just want you to watch, watch what happens. Because I, I, it will happen. And you need to just watch it. Let's also see what happens here in the story. Uh, The story, uh, the friends now speak up, the chorus of friends. If you've been with us a a couple weeks, uh, you know that these friends have been looking into the relationship. They've been telling, uh, they've been really an outside perspective on this relationship. In fact, today we're going to find out who the friends are. There's going to be a big reveal there. But let's just call it the friends right now. The friends speak up. And they say this, they say, who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Essentially, the friends are seeing them go on vacation and in love with each other and all this great stuff. And uh, they're admiring what's happening. They're admiring that even though they're, they're older now, they, they're, they're, they're really asking the question, how in the world are they still in love like this? Like, how do they still have this love? And I'm just going to throw this out there to you. Um, and here's, here's my idea. And in fact, we even talked about this in a small group this week. Um, it, it's this idea that if you would just let God do a work in your life, I believe that when God does a work in your life, other people will begin to notice. That when God does a work in your relationship, your friends are going to look, there's going to be an outside perspective looking in and saying, how, how are you still in love like that? How, how do you love people like you do? And that's really what's happening here. And listen, I, I, and I, I hope that eventually that's what happens in, in me and Emily's relationship. I mean, me and Emily, we're, we're not perfect. And I don't want you to idolize our relationship because we work hard on it every day. And we're definitely not at the destination, but we're, we're in a journey. And uh, we're spending time together. And, and the goal is for our relationship that one day is that people can see God through our relationship. And that's, that's our prayer. In fact, the Bible says, let your light shine before men. In fact, that's what Jesus said. Let your light shine before men that they may see essentially how you live your life. And, that, and so when they see how you live your life, they will begin to glorify God. Wouldn't that be, what, what a testimony would that be? That you don't even have to speak a word. Just when people look at you and how you interact with other people, that they can glorify, they, they see God through you and will want to glorify God just because of the way that you act. 
I mean, what a goal that is to set. And I think that's really the hope of the gospel. I think the hope of the gospel is that God would do such a work on the inside of you, that God would do such a good work on the inside of you, that people from the outside would just go, you know what, man, I want the God that you serve. I want to, where, where do you go to church? Because I want some of that. I, I, I want to serve that God, that they would look in and say, who is this? Who is this couple? I don't even recognize these people anymore. And I just love that. And in fact, uh, we'll move on. This verse goes on to say, under the apple tree, I rose you. I, there, your mother conceived you. There, she who was in labor gave you birth. And that might sound a little odd to us. Like, where in the world is this going with this apple tree thing? Essentially, what she's saying, the, the, uh, Solomon's wife speaks up here and essentially just says, you know what? I now understand why you're on this earth. She's saying, you know what? I, I understand that from the day you were born, you were for me. Essentially, she's saying God has always had us together. He, he, he made you for me. She's basically saying, you know what? The reason that you were born was for us to be together. And then she says this beautiful statement. She says, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. What do we know about a seal? First of all, a seal is a sign of ownership, right? If you've got your seal or stamp of approval on something, it just means that you're owning it. And she, that's essentially what she's saying. She's like, you were born for me and I want you to own it. You're born for me and I want you, I want you to possess me. Like I, I want you to be mine. In fact, she says, for love is as strong as death. That's where we get in the marriage vows from death do us part. That's why we say those things, because that's essentially what she's saying. Essentially what she's saying is that the only condition for us to ever be separated, Solomon, is death. That's the only condition for us to ever be separated. In fact, uh, she goes on to say this, it's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. What she's basically saying, and honestly, this is a pretty crude way to say it, but this is honest, honestly, this is what she's saying here. She's, she's, tell, she's basically saying, May I go to hell if something comes between you and me. Light that blazing fire. It'll burn like a mighty flame. That's essentially what she's saying. In fact, I, I think our culture has a hard time uh, accepting these things. Um, in fact, uh, in, in the Jewish culture back in the day, um, they used to really represent this idea uh, in a pretty dramatic way. In fact, at a Jewish wedding, they used, to, uh, they used to cut up an animal at a wedding, like basically dismember an animal. And the couple on their wedding day would walk arm in arm, and uh, they, would walk, they would walk and look down at that dismembered animal on the ground. And they would say, may it happen to us as it happened to this animal if we ever do something that lets us be apart. That's how they understood that relationship. That it, I'd rather be blazing in hell, I'd rather be totally dismembered than for us to be apart. And that's what Solomon's wife is saying here to him, that we're born for each other and that, that I, wanna, I wanna be with you forever. And so you say, well, that's pretty dramatic. So Pastor Noah, what, how are you gonna put this into a point? Well, here, here's the secret that I think we can learn 3,000 years later. It's just this, is that lasting love is permanent. Lasting love is permanent. To which I want to stop right here and say, for any person who's gone through a divorce, or been a part of one, or just it's in your family or whatever, been hurt. A lot of us have been hurt by this point, especially when we talk about something so strong as permanent here. You need to understand that every week in this series, we've set up some ground rules. And the ground rule, especially here, is that you just need to let the past be the past. I, our God is a God who makes all things new. Listen, if you've been divorced 30 times, my goal is just for you not to get to 31, everybody. Like, I just, I, I don't care what you've done in your past. Let's just let the past be the past. I know that my God, I know that Jesus heals and forgives. And that's what he wants to do in your life. And he can let all things, he can make all things be made new. But just because of that, just because he can, 
We can't just throw out some of the past, because we've had some bad experiences, we just, we can't throw out God's principles because of those bad experiences. I'm just giving these to you because I, I, would, I would love from this day forward that you would find a love that is permanent, something that you can commit to. And I, th- I throw that out there uh, just because I, I, I always feel the tension of the room, uh, especially when we talk about something so strong here. I feel people just glaring at me saying, you know, you, you don't know my story. You know, you, you, you don't know what's happened. But I'm just telling you today that you will never have a successful relationship if you continue to throw the option of divorce on the table. If that's what you're constantly talking about. I'm just encouraging you to throw it away and understand that lasting love is permanent. Now, of course, there's conditions to that. And so, the, you know, I, there's, there's different conditions to lasting love. And I'm not going to get into all that today. Um, but you just need to, I, I would just encourage you as, as best as you can to have the idea, the same idea as Solomon's wife. That idea of, I just want, I want my stamp to be on you. <laughs> I, I want my seal to be on you. I want to be possessed by you. And have that idea that, you know what, you were born for me. And don't let the wounds of the past keep you from God's will. Let there be a fresh start today. In Jesus' name, everybody. That's my hope for you. But from this day forward, I just encourage you, let's follow God's way. Let's understand his principles and watch and see. In fact, this next text that we're going to move into, watch and see what it delivers to you. In fact, Solomon's wife, to move from this permanent um, idea, let's move to the next, uh, the next point here. It's this, is that Solomon's wife starts and goes on to say, many waters cannot quench love. Meaning that no matter what comes against us, no matter what kind of raging water comes against us, it's not going to put my flame out for you. You know, it's not going to come against you. Nothing can come against us. In fact, she says rivers cannot wash it away. If it were to give all the wealth for his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. What they're saying here, and this is a hard thing to say, but basically what, what, what's being said here is that, hey, if somebody came up to me and wanted to buy you from me, there's nothing in the world that they could give me that could take you away from me. That's essentially, she's saying, that's, that's how strong the love is. And uh, I, I, think I said in the last service, that's basically Danny Pullis' language for if somebody comes up to his wife and says, I'm going to give you this amount for your wife, he's going to say, well, let me just, I'm going to your head off, you know, <laughs> and that's a nice way of putting it. I think he's probably got uh, other resources to use than that, but uh, <laughs> I would run far, far away. And, you know, why in the world? I see right now, why would you ever think of something? You know, why would you ever say something as stupid as that? You know, and, and that's just the truth. And that's what she, she said, that, that no matter what, like if, if somebody came up to me and said, oh, I'll, I'll give you $10,000 for Miss Emily. I'd be the same way. I can't, I can't even believe you would ask me that question. But if they said, well, I'll, I'll give you $10 billion. Give me till the end of the day, everybody. <laughs> I just, I just kidding. Don't tell Emily I said that. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, absolutely not, everybody, right? I, I, I will not let anything come against our love. And you need to be that committed too. You need to be that committed in your relationships. Listen, not my job, not my family, not your family, not the things around us. It's not going to come against the love I have for you. So what do you do? What's the point? What you, what's the point, Pastor Noah? You say, well, here's the point. Write it down. Is that lasting love is persevering. It goes through even the tough times. It's permanent. It's persevering. Listen, even when, when tough things happen to us, we buckle up and we get closer. We're, we just decide, you know what? I'm not going to let anything tear us apart. No amount of money. No amount of fame. No, not what your family says about me. It's not going to tear us apart. And listen, you, you need that. In fact, I wrote in my notes is that you don't need commitment to something that, you're not, that you don't want to be committed to. Let me say it like this. There's, there's no need for the word commitment if you're happy. Because listen, when we're happy with each other, 
Why? There's, there's no reason for commitment. We're just, we're just happy. When commitment comes into play, commitment really only comes into play is when you're, when you're not happy. When you're upset with each other, that's when commitment comes into play. And, and that's why I believe commitment just means, you know what? It, when I'm committed to you, it's just saying, I'm, I'm willing to be unhappy for a little while while we work things out. That's what commitment is. And listen, you need to know that about your spouse. You need to, and not, not only do you need to know about your spouse, but you need to know that about me as your pastor. That even when I'm unhappy with all of you, I'm still committed. To this because that's what commitment is because when I'm I don't have to make any commitment when I'm happy about doing my job I just love doing it but commitment comes into play when something bad happens or and, and God forbids I do something bad to you I want that same commitment from you right I'll find out who the committed people are as soon as I screw up and make a mistake that's when commitment comes into play you can come in here and set every week and and when I do something bad you you believe and you didn't have no commitment to this church Commitment comes into play when, when something bad happens. And it's the same in your relationship, same in your relationship with your friends. Can I tell you it's the same in your, with your employer as well? Your employer needs to know that about you. Your employer needs to know that even when you get frustrated and upset that you're not just going to walk out. In the same way, from your, you need that from your employer. That even when you screw up and make a mistake, that they're not just going to let you go because of that. That it, it, It's a commitment. And that's a fabric of some great relationships. That's what lasting love is. Lasting love. It's persevering. Let's look at what happens next here. Uh, we see... In Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 8 through 9, the chorus of friends speak up, and they actually tell us who they are in this line. And uh, here's what they say. We have a little sister. Now, this little sister here is the maiden of this is Solomon's wife. And the chorus of friends, we find out, it's her brothers. It's her brothers. So there's the big reveal, everybody. This group of people who have been looking in and admiring their relationship from the first chapter is her own family. To which I would say, I think the hardest people to impress in your life is probably your family. And so I think that's interesting how that's thrown in here, but that's, that's what, what it says, is that it's her brothers who have been looking in, and they say, hey, we've got a little sister, and her breasts are not yet grown. This is just meaning that they're remembering back to while she was young. And they, and they asked, essentially, while she was young, they asked this question, and they said, what, what in the world are we going to do with our sister on the day that she's spoken for? They're, they're asking the question, now, what, what, what are we going to do when she wants to get married? Are we going to let her get married? Now, I don't know why, I, I don't fully understand why it's the brothers that are speaking up. Um, I, I have a thought, and this is just my thought, everybody, so this is not scripture. I want to make sure I clarify that. My thought here is that I think that uh, in this story, I think her father dies maybe prematurely. And so the brothers kind of take on responsibility of their sister. And so they speak up and they say, you know, what, what, what in the world are we going to do when somebody wants to marry her? And they answer their question in this next verse. In fact, parents, I want you to listen to this. And, uh, and young people, I want you to hear this as well, because this is good. They say, well, hey, what are we going to do when she wants to get married? Well, they say, well, if she's a wall, meaning if she encloses herself, literally meaning if she's got some moral standards... If this girl grows up and she's got some standards and she makes good decision under pressure and, and she, she makes good decisions even in a position of temptation, if she's a wall, if she's got some standards, we're going to build her towers of silver. Meaning silver was just a gift at a wedding. So essentially they're just saying, hey, if she's a wall, if she's got some standards, we're going to let her get married. We'll have no problem letting her get married. <laughs> but on the other hand, they say, well, if she's a door... Meaning you can just think about that for a minute. If she is sleeping around, I guess, we, we're going to enclose her with panels of cedar. Meaning that we're, we're not, there's no way we're going to let her get married. Meaning, essentially just meaning that we're just, we're not, we're just, we won't let her get married. And I like this, and I, I, I think it's uncomfortable language for some of us, because in today's culture, I think every one of us, we want to be our own person, and we want to make our own decisions. It's, it's our choice. We just... But 
here's the deal, and here's what you need to understand. I'd write this in your notes, is that you're not safe alone. You're not safe alone. You need a group of people who watch out for you. You need some people. Listen, I've got a group of people. I've got people in my life that watch out for me. In fact, before I move on, I just say this, is that lasting love is protective. You need that group of people who are protective about you. And you need to be the same way with your, with your wife or with your, with your spouse. You need to be that same way. Listen, when Emily says that she's going to be home at 530 after work and it's six o'clock and she's not home, I'm getting a little concerned, right? You know why? Because I'm protective. I'm getting on the life 360, you know, pull, where's she at? Uh, in fact, I <laughs> just, uh, oh, I, Thursday, Emily was student teaching at Trigo. And uh, I asked her uh, to, I was hungry, right? And so I said, I want you to, would you just stop by the old Amish Shawnee country store? You know what I'm talking, anybody know what I'm talking about? If you're, if you're from that area, you know what I'm talking about. And they got some good sandwiches and whatnot. So I'm watching her on the Live 360, <laughs> making sure, I, you know, I, don't be forgetting about my sandwich. And I, for whatever reason, I want a sandwich, I wanted bologna. I love, I, I, for whatever reason, I want a fried bologna sandwich, everybody. I think that's grandma's fault. And, uh, and, and, and some homemade bread. Anyway, uh, so I'm watching her on the left. She speeds right on past that. So I'm, call, I'm calling her. She, by the time I get, she's finally looking at the phone. She's at Brunzi's, everybody. You know, like, I'm like, you're, you're done way past it. I want you to turn, you know. So anyway, that might not be the best example, but I'm protective, you know. <laughs> protective about my bologna sandwich. And... Uh, but that, and you, you need to be the same way. I mean, you, you just, you need to protect, you need to protect your loved ones. And, and uh, I, you might say, well, well, no, that's just, that's just restrictive. It sounds really restrictive. Well, it's, I, it's not, listen, it, it, it's not restrictive. It's protective. And we, we all want to protect, you need to protect each other. You need it. I need it, everybody. I need, listen, I need people to know when I'm discouraged. I need people to know when I'm upset. I need friends to know when I have bad days, when I feel like giving up. You need those people in your life because lasting love protects. And that's what the brothers did. That's why the brothers say the things that they do. They say, you know, if she's, if she's got some standards, we're going to let her get married. If not, she got some things to work on before we give her away and and let her get married. And you need some people like that in your life. And young people especially, you need it. Uh, I, I think the one thing that I agree with, the one world saying that I agree with is that love is blind. Because it totally is. Um, you know, when, you think you, when, when you're in that process, when you're in that phase with somebody, you need some people, you need some friends outside looking in. And you need them to be protective of you. Let's take a look at uh, the last one here. It's, it comes from chapter 8, verse 10. She speaks up and she says, you know what? I am a wall. Now looking back, of course, I, I, I am a wall. I had some standards and my breasts are like towers, which is probably not what some of you, of you men are thinking right now. Um, <laughs> it, what, what she's meaning here is that she's far out of reach. She just got some standards. She's, 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 she's far out of reach. And she says, thus I have become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. Meaning, she's just saying, I, because I had some standards, now in the relationship that I have with Solomon, now I bring him some peace. And I've got some peace in my relationship. In fact, contentment here translated in the original language is shalom. Meaning, just meaning peace. Now, which I would say, isn't that what every single one of us want in a relationship? We just want some peace. And I would say that same thing about me and Emily's relationship. Like me and Emily, we don't have a perfect relationship, but I do like to think that we have a peaceful one. That, 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 that because we are bought into the principles of God, we can have a peaceful relationship. In fact, here's my promise to every one of you today is that if you would just buy into God's word, I, I, I just totally believe that it'll eventually deliver that shalom, that peace, that contentment that you need. It's not perfection, and, but I, I think it's, it's, that's not what it means. It's not perfection, but it does mean a whole lot of peace in the middle of a storm. So when you do, when you do face these struggles, you can still somehow have some peace. Lastly, number four, 
it's this, is that lasting love is peaceful. It's what it is. And I just am a firm believer that if you follow God's way, God is not restrictive. That's not who he is. No, he just wants to bring you peace and he knows what he's doing. And you have to trust him with that. Now, do you have less problems? Absolutely not. Probably not. In fact, many of us have more problems than most people. But you can have peace in the middle of those problems. You can have peace in the middle of the storm knowing that God is on your side. And I would just encourage you to step into that journey of following God. That's really the lasting love portion of this message. I want to end today uh, with the rest of the time that I have with you with just one more big reveal. I felt like since we've been in a series five weeks now, I felt like I have a responsibility to just wrap all this up for you and uh, to put a bow on the whole book of Solomon. And here's how I want to do it. I want to show you the last couple verses in here in chapter eight, verse 11. It says this, it says, Solomon had a vineyard, which by the way, if you were with us from week one, you understand that the vineyard is this vineyard is the same vineyard that was talked about in chapter one. In fact, it's the vineyard that Solomon's not yet wife, not yet girlfriend even, was working in in chapter one. Solomon owned that vineyard that she was complaining about. Remember, she was, if you were here with us in chapter one, you remember that she was complaining about working in the vineyard. In fact, she says that she didn't feel all that beautiful because her hands were dry and, and her, her skin was dried out and her skin was cracked because she had to work in that vineyard. In fact, she was pretty, she was kind of bitter at her brother. She said that her family, remember, made her work in that vineyard. And so she was bitter for having to go work in that vineyard. But guess who owned it? Solomon owned it. And he owned the vineyard that she complained about in chapter one. And Solomon actually rented his vineyard out to the brothers. And said, in fact, he says he let out his vineyard to tenants. Each, each was to bring for its fruit a thousand shekels of silver. But my own vineyard, she says, is mine to give. So remember she said in the beginning, she messed up her body by, by working in the vineyard. But now she's saying, okay, now in retrospect and looking at all of this, she's saying, oh, no, 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 no. Listen, because of the decision that I made to honor my brothers and working in the vineyard, now I have something to give. She says, my own vineyard is now mine to give. I think it's interesting that what she resented in the first place, what she resented while she was young, what she didn't want to have to go through while she was young, now later on in life, she appreciates. I want you young people to hear this because she's basically saying, because I went through something I didn't want to go through, now I have something to give. And now she says, listen, now my body quite literally is mine to give. And now I'm going to give it to Solomon. In fact, it goes on to say, the thousand shekels are for you, Solomon, and 200 are for those who tend its fruit. Really, what she does at the end of this book, in other words, is she's just honoring the people who got her to this point in her relationship. Even though she didn't like some of them for a season, she still takes some time to honor and say, you know what, thank you. She's saying, you know what? Hey, Solomon, I'm going to, I give you my body now because you're my husband. And not only that, but I'm going to give my, now I'm going to honor my brothers as well. Essentially what she's saying is, I, you know, I'm going to give you these 200 for those who tend the fruit. I'm going to give brothers, I'm going to give you some money and I'm going to, I'm going to forgive you. And I'm, I'm going to ask you to forgive me for complaining about this because she realizes now at the end of the day, at the end of her life, had she not worked in the vineyard that they forced her to work in, she would have never met Solomon because it was Solomon who, if you remember in this first week, he was at the vineyard. And remember, she talked about all the other girls flaunting around at the edge of the vineyard. Solomon was there. He saw the women flaunting at the edge of the vineyard. But he looked at a girl who may not have been attractive like all the other women, who she says her skin was dried out. She saw, Solomon saw this girl working in the vineyard, submitting to her brothers, building her character and said, you know what? I don't want any of the women on the edge of the field. 
That's the one that I want to marry. That's the person. She recognizes that now. And then Solomon speaks up at the end and says, you who dwell in the gardens with friends in attendance, let me hear your voice. Essentially, She's out doing something, and, and, she, and Solomon yells at her and says, hey, hey where, where are you at? Essentially, what he's doing here, modern-day translation, he's at work, and he sends a text and says, I'm thinking about you, honey. You know, that, that, that's really what he's doing. Hey, hey, what you doing? Which, by the way, you need to do that, and I might spice some things up. But anyway, and then she responds by saying, hey leave the meeting. <laughs> like, like get, come home early. Like she says, come away, my beloved, and be like a gazelle, like a, or like a young stag on the spice-laden mountains. Spicy, because that is her body. Essentially, she's saying, come home and get some loving, everybody. That's what she wants. And, that's, and, and, and enjoy my body. That's what she's saying. And that's how the whole book ends. You know, chapter closed. You know, and they, that, that's this, this mature, this older mature couple that is continuing to deepen their relationship and their friendship with each other. And when they followed God's way, they're now able to enjoy everything that God has for them. I just want to end today by leaving you with these two thoughts from this entire series. The first thought is this, is that love is not a feeling. Love, it has feelings, but love is a choice. And love is a choice that we make every day. And some of you, you really need to understand that. That love is actually more. Let me say it like this. Love is actually more love when you don't feel like loving them. Let's say when your spouse is sick and you're cleaning up after them, you're taking care of them, whatever it is, it's, it's an inconvenience. I tell you, that's love. Something that, you know, I, I don't really want to be doing right now. I don't really care to do. But you still do it. It's a choice that you make. That's love. Listen, love is patient. When your husband comes home irritable, and I do all the time, and Emily just loves me. Love is understanding. And your wife's hormones are all out of whack. Love has feelings, but it's not a feeling. Love is a choice, and you have to make it every single day. That's why the Bible says, above all else, church, above all else, I would love for us to just put on love. It's not a feeling, it's a choice every day. You have to wake up and you have to put it on. And I saw this verse and I literally, when I was preparing for this message last night, I literally saw in my mind, husbands and wives going home from church today, maybe holding hands in the car and just saying, I need you to forgive me. I need you to forgive me for what I've done. You don't have to get into all the details. There's no need for that. But would you... What would you think about, can we just get a fresh start? Can we let Jesus make all things new? Can we let God begin to work in our relationship? And my hope is that they would look back to you and just say, you know what? Absolutely. I'm ready. I want that fresh start. I will put on love because it's a choice. I, my encouragement at the end of this entire series would just be this. Would you consider treating each other the way Jesus treated us? Because ultimately, Jesus's love is pretty unbelievable. Am I right? I mean, his, his love is pretty unbelievable. I mean, have you ever, just, you ever just given Jesus a reason to just totally ditch you and be done with you? I've plenty of times, should have been plenty of times where Jesus just said, you know what? Nope. Don't want to move on from this. But no, that's not what he does. No, instead, I've given him all these reasons not to love me, but he's still here with arms open saying, hey, welcome home. Welcome back home, Noah. I'm so glad to see you. And can I just encourage you that he's there for you today? He's there for you in that relationship today. 
And honestly, you can have the same love as Jesus has if you let God transform you. If you put on the love that he's talking about. And when you put on his love, it gives you the ability to love others the way that you were loved. You know why? Look at this last thing today. It's this, is that being loved gives the capacity to love. We can love because we have all experienced what it feels like to be loved because of Jesus. That's why the Bible says in 1 John 4, 19, we love. Why? Because he first loved us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Lord, we cannot say enough about your love for us. But Father, today we commit to loving people the way that you loved us. So Lord, help us to love our spouse in that way. Lord, help us to love our friends in that way. Lord, help us to love our coworkers and our boss in that way. Father, I pray that you would even help us love our enemies in that way. That God, we can love some of the most unlovely people because you first loved us. Father, today we recognize that love is not just a feeling. No, it's, it's not. It's a, it's a commitment that we make. That God, love is a choice that we have to make every single day. Lord, help us to put that love on. And Father, today, right now, right here in this service, we ask that you would just forgive us. God, forgive us for not loving people well. God, forgive us for holding that grudge against others. God, we give everything, every, every bad thing, every, every wrong thing that we've done, Lord, we give it to you. And we ask today that would you just make all things new? The only way that you can, Lord, the, that's who you are. We just ask that you would just begin to make all things new. God, give us the strength to move forward. And God, give us the strength to have that commitment with each other. That God, lasting love is forever. And we recognize that. And Lord, we commit to today to loving you as well. We thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed, eyes closed. If you've never experienced the love of God, today's the day. The Bible says today is the day for salvation. If you have struggled with the capacity to love other people, maybe it's because you haven't let Jesus love you first. He's there. He's waiting. He's, his arms are open. He wants to love you today. If that's you in this room, if you're watching online with us this morning, if that's you, we'd love, I'd love to just pray a simple prayer with you. Just says, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for saving me. If that's you, the Bible says that if you pray that prayer, you can confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. If that's you in this room today, would you just pray this simple prayer with me? In fact, church, because we all believe in it, we're going to pray this out loud together. Would you just repeat after me? Say, dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on a cross for me. But I believe that you raised him from the dead. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I give you my life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving me the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Would you give it up for all the people who prayed that prayer with us this morning? Thank you for listening to The Real Church Podcast. If you would like to partner with us financially or you live in the Southern Illinois area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out realchurch.info. 